Ladies and gentlemen, coming to you from Northeast Pennsylvania, it's the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins podcast with Nick Hart, the best place to break the ice with your favorite players. Today's guest, Penguins defenseman Jack St. Ivany, celebrity conservationist Bindi Irwin, plus all new Penn's picks, semantics, and a question from the previous episode's guest. So let's get to it. Without further ado, please put your hands together for our host, the karaoke kaiju, Nick Hart! Hello! Yeah! Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. Okay, okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the first episode of 2023 for your Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins podcast. Let me hear it. New year, new you, new resolutions, I'm sure. Hopefully you've all stuck to those resolutions to this point. We're not even a month into the year, so you can't back down yet. And just as we promised you before our little holiday hiatus, we are back with another episode of the show. And what a show we have for you here to kick off the new year. My first guest here on the Penguins podcast is Penguins defenseman Jack St. Ivany. Very happy to have Jack on the show. And after we chat a little bit with the Penguins rookie blue liner, we are going to be bringing on conservationist. You know her from TV. You know her father very well, but she's made a name for herself. Bindi Irwin is here. Not sure if she's got any pets or, or critters. Uh, we'll see what we have in store. I guess you'll just have to uh, stay tuned to see what Bindi Irwin has brought for us here. So with that in mind... Let's jump right into today's episode. My first guest is none other than Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins rookie defenseman, Jack St. Ivany. He's with me on the microphone right now. Jack, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. I uh, just wrapped up a nice practice, so i uh, going to enjoy the afternoon and get ready for our game tomorrow. You're, you're all revved up. You're ready to go. I mean, the game's... They come fast and furious at this point of the year. There's no more weirdness in the schedule where I think in November we were playing every day. Then in December we had like one game in 11 days. Then the Christmas break, etc., etc. No, we're in the rhythm of it now. So with that in mind, I guess I'll start with uh, an easy get-it-out-of-the-way question. How has the first season of professional hockey gone for Jack St. Ivany? How's the adjustment been? How has life been? Like, How's the, the whole kit and caboodle going for you so far? Yeah, it's been good. Um, it's definitely been a little bit of an adjustment. Um, I feel like hockey-wise, uh, first half of the year, uh, it was actually nice for me to kind of ease into it. We had more of a college schedule that I'm used to with just games on the weekends. Yeah, okay. And uh, a lot more practices. But now that we're getting more games in and uh, playing a lot more, it's uh, definitely a jump, jump up in the pro game. But, yeah, I've been enjoying it so far. Um, it's definitely different being in a locker room with uh, some older guys who have kids and different points in their life. But um, I've been loving it so far. And uh, I think for me it's, you know, my first time living on my own uh, without any roommates. So that's definitely an adjustment. So I've been finding things to do to sort of pass the time and really diving into learning how to cook. So for me that's been uh, real fun for me. What's been on the menu? Um, sort of all over the place, kind of trying to hit every, every area of the world. So I've got some Italian uh, dishes, some Mexican food, um, just some tr classic American dishes. So I'm trying to 
get a whole uh, set of dishes for me. Is there anything that you've like really got a handle on already, and you're like, yeah, this is this is a staple in the Saint Ivany kitchen? Ooh, um, I feel like pastas. I'm getting a good good hang of. Um, really, any breakfast food I think I could handle. I okay. Think you ask for something, I could make it. Um, I feel like any sort of meats. I've learned how to cook, so I've really sort of mastered the basics. Now it's just the kinda, basics. Yeah, throwing it all together. Throwing it all together. Any like special seasonings or anything like that? Or are you purely in experimentation mode? Right um, now? yeah, I just kind of. My mom told me when I was younger, and I was sort of learning how to cook. She's like, if you like the taste of certain ingredients, then put them together. You'll probably like it. So I just sort of take different things that I know I like, and then throw them together, and they usually work out pretty well. I like how immediately right out of the gate we just got right into food. Yeah, I, I have. I'm sure somebody could go back and count. Most of the times these conversations devolve into food that we like and what's delicious. And right from the get-go, we're like, yeah, I'm trying cooking and I'm getting all of it down. <laughs> like I'm going all around the world, the world tour. What you say? Italian, Mexican, classic American. You going anywhere else? Uh, no, not yet. I've, Nothing uh, too adventurous? Yeah, our sh uh, chef Steve's been helping me out a little bit. He makes a nice uh, Thai peanut sauce. Yes, so he does. Maybe I'll uh, try that out one time. Have you stolen the recipe from him yet, or are you, like, waiting to ask? He told me it. I didn't write it down. I think he's going to get it on a little uh, note card for me, so I'm going to get that from him soon. For those who don't know, the Chef Steve Thai peanut sauce has become iconic. So this goes back to when Daniel Sprong was with the team, and because he was from uh, the Netherlands, Chef Steve that year was like, hey, like, if you're from a different country or something, or you just had, like, a unique home-cooked meal that your family had, let me know, and I'll try and sprinkle something in for everybody who's from a different uh, country, nationality, culture, things like that, and see what I can work into the rotation throughout the year. And Daniel Sprong, I believe, said, like, we always have this peanut sauce in Amsterdam that is just out of this world. And Chef Steve took that and then added, like, the Thai element to it or something like that. I don't know how the evolution occurred. But even though Daniel Sprong hasn't played for this organization in like four or five years, the peanut sauce remains, and it is a player favorite annually. And you have it has already won you over, Jack St. Ivany. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to have to thank, uh, thank Spronger for that one. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Spronger. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, excellent. So you mentioned before that, hey, this has been a little bit of an adjustment for you just living on your own with no roommates. You're on a little bit of a, a solo mission right now. Speaking to some of your other fellow rookies, uh, mostly the guys that have come out of junior, they've all said like, hey, this has been different for us. We're not even talking about playing against grown men at the professional level, but just living on our own for the first time. No billets, no one to make sure that you're up in the morning, no one to, to cook you dinner later in the night or things like that. But in your case, you did four years of college hockey, so you know what living on your own is to a certain extent but now just the fact that you are truly by yourself you've got an apartment for yourself that's sort of been uh the different uh culture shock for lack of a better term for you this year yeah i think so um i think that sort of college you're sort of eased into it um with the whole dorm situation and you're living with uh, the situation yeah a couple <laughs> other teammates so um you're not fully on your own because you kind of have your bills are paid for in one certain way and all of that, like yeah. your water, all of that's handled through the school. Um, still you're cooking your own meals and doing your own laundry and all that thing. But um, this is my first time really getting my own apartment, handling bills and taxes yeah. and all that. So it's been good. Um, it's nice to have some other teammates that are going through the same thing as you and kind of bounce ideas off each other. So um, I've been enjoying it so far. 
when you get that that electric bill or that water bill in the mail, are you still going old school with paper billing or are you doing the all digital? I know this is thrilling conversation right now. Are you <laughs> online only? Automated uh, payments? I got a couple in the mail at first uh, and then I just float them all to the to the digital to make it easy on me. I resisted for so long and I don't know why. I was writing checks as recently as like three months ago. And then just recently, I was like, I'm just going to do the online billing. It's so much easier. Yeah. What was wrong with me? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I went to the mailbox a couple of times, and then they, they had an option, just check if you want to put it online. And so you said, just, yes, please. Yeah, let's just do it that way. <laughs> uh, so now that we have paying bills conversation out of the way, Jack St. Ivany with us here on the Wilkes-Barre Scranton and Penguins podcast. I feel like if we want to talk about Jack St. Ivany, if we want to tell the Jack St. Ivany story, we have to start with where you're from, Manhattan Beach, California. Um, I think I believe I heard you say that like your your family is actually from like St. Louis area or something like that. How did you guys end up in California? And what was it like growing up as a young hockey player out in CA? Um, yeah, so my mom and dad are both from uh, outside the St. Louis area. Okay. Um, and then they moved out to Los Angeles in uh, early 90s. So I've been in Los Angeles my entire Whole life. Whole life, okay. Yeah. So uh, same house, uh, actually remodeled it when I was probably nine, but same property all the way up uh, in Manhattan Beach. So um, for me, it's it's been a, a really cool place to grow up because it wasn't all hockey. And, you know, at school growing up, I was pretty much the only hockey player. Um, so one, <laughs> it was cool for the attention because um, everyone would always ask me like, what tournaments I'm going to. And when we played hockey and PE, I was the best player. So for me, that was definitely unique, but um, it was cool to be able to experience just, you know, growing up near the beach and uh, going surfing and seeing all my friends do different things. Um, I feel like uh, both ways it kind of works. You know, some guys from Minnesota, they have hockey constantly 24-7. Yeah. Um, it can get maybe a little sick of it, but um, for me, I think it was really cool to grow up in a place where I had different avenues to uh sort of let my mind go did you spread out and play other sports uh yeah i played soccer and baseball mainly growing up and then i became baseball and hockey for a while baseball and hockey and then i kind of had to make a decision at some point um just hockey worked out the best for me uh yeah i'd say it's working out pretty well for you here um and we've seen more and more players over the years play in the ahl or the nhl being from california and true blue like born and raised Californians, not like, oh, yeah, like I was born in a hospital in San Diego or something, but I grew up in a dime in Minnesota. Like, no, real-life California hockey guys. You say you were the only kid who played hockey when you were growing up in school, but maybe as you were climbing up the ranks, could you feel like, hey, this hockey scene out here in California really is growing? Yeah, I think I think so for sure. Actually, some of my best friends, uh, once I started getting a little bit older, maybe into – um, younger teens, they were all hockey players. Um, we weren't all from the same town, probably right. our radius between all of us, but we all sort of found each other and stuck together. And it's actually funny enough, this year, um, sort of the way college free agency works is in August, if you're not uh, signed with a team, but you were drafted before, August of your senior year, you become a free agent. Yes. So there were t- uh, probably 10, 10 guys that were sort of bigger names that were coming out of the college ranks. And one of them uh, was my best friend growing up from Los Angeles, too, Cole Gutman. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah, he ended up signing with Chicago. So two of us from Los Angeles sort of growing up the whole way just kind of speaks volumes to how much the game has grown out there. 
and no kidding. And we see players drafted. Now we see players who are being pounced upon whenever that college free agency process opens up. Uh, since you're the guy who, who brought it up here, I'll ask what that experience was like for you. Because you mentioned sort of the calendar and how it works whenever you're a drafted player. But then, hey, team doesn't sign you. But now you sort of get, I don't want to say your pick of the litter, but there's probably a lot of uh, teams that get interested in your services now when it's anyone else can throw their hat in the ring. Did you find that to be a, a stressful period of time? Did you find it to be a little bit of a, uh, like, avenues were opened for you kind of thing? Like, what was that whole thing like for Jack St. Ivany? Yeah, it was uh, it was different. Um, I mean, some of the guys, if you look at, like, on our team now, Corey Andonofsky or mm -hmm. Colin Sawyer, Ty Glover, they were college guys, but they signed right after the season ended. So they Correct. came up here at the end of last season, able to play a couple of games. Um, but for me, it's just the way the rules work. You can't sign with another team until August. Right. So I had that whole springtime um, to, you know, my season ended in March to work out, have my senior spring, graduate with all my buddies, hang out there. Um, and then sort of the whole summer, uh, it was just kind of waiting around. I mean, working my hardest, but yeah. didn't know where I was going to go. And you can't talk to teams, so... So there's um, not even like a negotiation period either. You just have to sit around and wait. Yeah. Ugh. So it's, you know, I think August 15th or 16th is the date. And um, it's just you're kind of hoping and you're confident the game that you've put forward that a team will come your way and offer you a contract. But, you know, there's always that little doubt in your head. You never know what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, the day that happened, then it's really quick. Turn around, you talk, have some conversations with teams, speak with your parents, agent, whatnot. And then uh, kind of make a decision within the week, and then you're off to a new city. Like, it's life changes. Brand quick. new walk of life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, mm. and life comes at you fast, as they say. Um, I wanted to ask you about a member of, of management. And maybe you can uh, shed some light on this, or maybe you're like, ah, I don't really know. How, how close are you with Chris Pryor? Um, yeah, so when I was um, – in Sioux Falls. Where Bang, she, exactly. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Tell yeah, the story. So okay. I played juniors there, and, um, you know, just going up to my draft year, um, you'll meet with teams kind of after games and stuff. So I remember meeting one time with, uh, at the time it was the Flyers management, so Chris Pryor was, uh, was there, and so I met with him and got along super well, and then draft day came along back then, and uh, I remember having really good talks with them, and I know that they liked me, and so I thought that might be a team where I'd go. Ended up going there, and then flash forward four years down the road um, when that free agency period hits, and then knowing that he's part of the management in Pittsburgh, it was you know familiar faces, and also Hextall was the GM there. So Yeah, with Philly. Um, yeah, so it just worked out perfectly, I think, for me to know that multiple people have been watching me for – you know, five, six years, and we're still very high in my game. You just know that having people in your corner is a good good thing. Because if you're talking about college free agents that have come here to the Penguins and that Sioux Falls team, you have yourself, Colin Swoyer played for that Sioux Falls team, and Matt Corsia, who played for the Nailers last year and was at Penguins training camp this year, all coming out of that Sioux Falls team. I'm like, somebody had to be at those games regularly, watching that Sioux Falls Stampede team, to now, six years later, them all to be playing in the same organization, signed as college free agents. Was Chris Pryor like a Sioux Falls season ticket holder or something? Because he seems like he's bringing half the team here. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sioux Falls was definitely great. Uh, we had a good team when I was had there. A great team. And uh, it's a good development spot. It's actually, it's, I think, so funny that me and Colin Sawyer ended up here together. Yeah. Uh, we were D partners there. Had the I'm pretty sure the exact same stat line growing up, both <laughs> right-handed defensemen. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just funny that it worked out this way. And you've bounced all over the place too. This is kind of the path you've had to take as a guy from – California, even though we say that the the hockey scene there is burgeoning, growing, you go from Manhattan Beach, California, to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to uh, Connecticut to play at Yale. You're going to Boston College. You were drafted by Philadelphia. Now you're playing for Pittsburgh. Like there's a lot of long and winding roads that have carried Jack St. Ivany across this continent. Do you ever sit back and think about all the places you've been across this journey? You're just like, ah, you know, that's just the way it is, how you have to go if you want to play pro hockey. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely cultured me a lot and sort of opened me up to different experiences. Um, I think the first one um, being the most drastic change was Manhattan Beach to Sioux Falls. I'd imagine that's a bit of a a shock. Never living in snow and then it's snowing in October (laughs) there. That was sort of set me up for success the rest of it because if I was able to handle that, everything else I could take on anything. Easy, yeah. Anything's cake at yeah. that point. Oh, that's good stuff. Jack St. Ivany with us here on the Penguins podcast. We'll get to Bindi Irwin a little bit later here. When we're talking about your career and the way you've gone, I know uh, one of my interns, Sean, was doing a, a story for our game program, and he was asking you about some of your experiences at college at BC, and you were really quick to compliment uh, the coaches that you had there, and one of which is, of course, the legendary Jerry York, who just called it a a career not too long ago, but he's a Hall of Famer, uh, icon for all the national championships that he's won, but I'm just rambling on here, listing off, you know, Jerry York's resume. What can you tell us about your experience with Jerry York? Why don't you tell us as someone who's actually played for the guy? Yeah, he is everything that he's uh, talked up to be and more. Um, I think, you know... If you even just put hockey aside, just the person that he is, and um, it just wants, makes you want to be a better person yourself. Um, seeing someone like that who's, I don't know how old he is. He's definitely older. Uh, but the energy and <laughs> What are you talking about? He's not a day over 35. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't think with like the enthusiasm <laughs> that he comes to the rink with every day. Um, I've never seen someone who loves hockey as much as him. And so just, you know, seeing him walk through the, the halls of Conti Forum there and every single student athlete or person that he sees just greeting them with a hello. Yeah. Like, how are you doing? Or if he doesn't know them, asking them their name. Um, I've never seen that before. Um, so, yeah. But then you bring the hockey aspect of it and just how knowledgeable he is about everything and um, how detailed and precise he is with game plans and preparation. Um, I feel like for me it was definitely eye-opening and uh, made me a lot better player. And then I think he also made me a better person. And I feel like that's just sort of the culture that they have there is um, his time there. You look at the guys who have left that program. They're not just good hockey players, but they're great people. Um, I remember when I was going through like the recruiting process and talking with them, uh, that was one of the first things he brought up is just, you know, we're, we're focused on hockey, but we're we're focused on developing individuals here. Um, so I think that anyone who's played for him would, would stick to that and agree with that as well. And you mentioned that the sunny demeanor that he has, like you said, just greeting everybody with a smile, asking them how their day is going. There's nobody goes by without at least a little kind greeting of some sort. 
you said you'd never seen that before, but that's one of those things that really goes a long way when you talk about someone who's been at a program for a long time, establishing a culture. I know that's like a buzzword people like to use all the time, but it, it's real. Establishing a culture somewhere and making sure that it's it's welcoming and it's positive and that optimism can sometimes be contagious, even if, you know, when the puck drops, you're still going to work and things like that, like... It, it means a lot, and there's a reason why Jerry York has been so successful, and I think part of his uh, just general personality, his demeanor, is a big reason why he's had so much team and uh, developing individual success over the years. We used to have a lot more BC Eagles here in this locker room. I think you're flying by yourself right now, unless we include Penguins head coach J.D. Forrest, another guy who uh, played for Jerry York for a while, and whether it's J.D., or previous BC guys that have been here in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. Everybody's got Jerry stories. Everybody has stories about Jerry York, whether it was an intermission pep talk or just something at practice. Do you have any Jerry stories that you can share? I know you're fresh out of school. Uh, yeah, I mean, every day you could really come up with some sort of story. <laughs> um, I just think that for me, it was my senior year there. I think he was kind of... I feel like he was maybe 74, 75 maybe. Sure. And the fact that he's still skating around on the ice, he doesn't wear uh, hockey gloves. He wears, like, mittens. Yeah. So he's got mittens on. He still uses wooden stick. And he's wheeling around on the ice like he's one of the players. Yeah, and just I buzzing. Think, yeah, just he's going through, showing us different routes to take on the forecheck. Everyone's just like, this is unbelievable. This guy's still skating at his age and yeah. skating with such grace. Um, I feel like that just day in and day out, you know, was very impressive. And that um, just seeing him do that, I think, just speaks volumes to his love for the game and never wanted to take the skates off. And the mittens and the wooden stick. These are key details when you talk about him buzzing around the ice, too. I want to know where the wooden sticks are coming from. Do you think he has like a stash? in his garage that he can always tap into or do like the equipment guys have to somehow find wooden sticks every year? Yeah. I mean, no, he's, he's definitely not putting much flex on the stick. So <laughs> no, not at all. Taking many slap shots. So I think that one's probably been hanging around for a good, do you think it's just been years. the same stick for like 20 years? Yeah. I know that cause it's funny. Cause he'll, he'll, uh, see some guys who are like, we had some really skilled players and they'll do a really fancy play on the ice or take a nice shot, go bar down and he'll stop the practice, go over, grab their stick and be like, take it over the equipment manager. Be like, Hey, uh, you need to get me one of these. Like this, this one, this is the magic. <laughs> this stick. is the good one. Yeah. So I think it's just funny. And, um, <laughs> I still remember when I first went there, he, uh, showed me around campus and then dropped me off, uh, at the team hotel when I was, driving back he was pointing out these different ponds on the uh on the way back and okay. he's like yeah i'm gonna go take a skate over there and i was like oh, okay all right coach yeah and then next day i'm coming to the rink and i see him walking in and he's literally got his skates and his helmet and his stick that he's carrying in yeah so he actually went out there and just went for a little twirl on uh, one of the ponds on and, the pond before practice. A, a january uh boston day so He's a great guy. One of a kind. Yeah. What a guy. I love that. And like you said, too, like still at his age, just like, yeah, I'm just going to go for a rip on the pond and I'll see you guys later in the afternoon. Yeah. Incredible. Mm -hmm. What a guy. Jerry, and we could be here all day. We could do a, a separate podcast series, spinoff series, just on Jerry stories, yourself, 
JD, I know at dinners that we've had either on the road or even in the summers when he's still here with his family, Jerry comes up every so often and it seems like there's a new tale every single time. It's just, what a guy, what a legend. And you have not been shy about talking about the, uh, the fortunate position that you've been in to, to have played for him those two years at BC. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely very, very fortunate and um, had a couple other good coaches there, um, Buckley and Ayers and uh, Brooks Orpic actually oh, yeah. was one of my assistant coaches there. So I think that his presence kind of shatters off on the people around him. So, yeah, great coaching staff when I was there. What about Brooksy? There's another former Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguin and all that, a guy who made a career being a shut-down physical guy, handing out free candy to whatever unfortunate soul wanted to go into the corners with him. How much of an influence did that have on you as a young defenseman about to embark on a pro career? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was really special to have him on our coaching staff. Um, it was nice because he was pretty freshly removed from the game. So yeah. maybe it had been two or three years since he was battling for Stanley Cup. So um, it was really cool to have his insight and – um, he took sort of a, a more laid back approach in his coaching style. He didn't really overspeak on anything. It mm-hmm. was more pulling guys aside and teaching them little little tips here and there. So that was really cool to uh, have him there and listen to any stories he wanted to tell about his time in the NHL. So it was uh, very fortunate. Was he still a menace in the gym too, or did he dial yeah, it back once he, he retired? No, nope. he probably was one of the most fit guys on our team at his age. And, <laughs> Um, he probably picked up his fitness even more since he's finished playing. Yeah, he he. I remember all the time, especially I, I guess what you'd call it mid career in Pittsburgh. Um, guys would always just be like, "Holy smokes!" Like Brooksy was on another level today, or the workout was supposed to be forty five minutes. Brooksy was in there for an extra eighty five minutes after that. Barely even looked like he broke a sweat. Like he was just a machine. Yeah, a machine for sure. Unbelievable. Well. Glad you had that experience, or at least you're so grateful for that experience you had with all those coaches at BC. We are incredibly grateful that you're sharing these tales with us here on the Penguins podcast. But here on the show, Jack, we have some recurring segments that we like to do. And at this point in the conversation, we will now dive in headfirst into some of these recurring bits. The first of which being... We always have our previous episode's guest leave a blind question for the next episode's guest. They don't know who they're asking it to, but I always say it can be about anything you want. That has taken us down some uh, different avenues over the years that we've been doing this show, but I have received a question from our previous episode's guest, and I ask you now, Jack, are you prepared for me to pop the question? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, this is a would-you-rather scenario. So you get two options here, and you're welcome to ask as many questions as you like. I don't know how well I'll be able to answer those questions because this is a little bit out of my uh, out of my repertoire, okay? But would you rather receive $1 million right now, no questions asked, $1 million right in your bank account? Or would you rather receive $100 every day for the rest of your life a million dollars right now bang boom sign seal delivered or one hundred dollars every day for the rest of your life Hmm. ponder as much as you like you may not even need to ask questions you may just know your answer well i think i'm taking the million dollars today right now why um i mean i feel like money now is much better than money later um, if that's one thing I learned from my uh, accounting professor okay. when I studied at Yale, it's that. So I'll take the million dollars now. 
Um, I also feel like that $100 every day, it's going to take a little while to build up and you never know how with inflation, everything, how much that value, because I mean, that'd be what, 36000 a year? Yeah, so, essentially. Yeah, yeah. $36,500 a year. You can so lock it in. That's going to take at least, what, another 30 years? 30 years. 30 years till you make that million. You'll, you'll make it back as long as you don't get hit by a bus tomorrow, yeah. you know, or something like that. You're going to make it back. And then even the further you go down the line, you can now eclipse that million. But as you said, you don't know the strength of the dollar. There's some market volatility yeah. that you just cannot predict. That $100 could be worth $500. It could be worth $25 in 30 years. You don't know. Yeah. I so you're just saying, I will take now. that $1 million. million now, and let's let's turn it into $10 million. See, yeah. that's the other thing, because this, uh, this question spread throughout the locker room before we actually got you here on this episode. And that was, I don't want to say the overall consensus, but a lot of guys said, I'll take the million and I can invest all or most of it in other lanes. And then even in the 30 years, once I've made up the difference with the 100 a day that's been left under my pillow by the tooth fairy or whatever, I can have still have gotten more than a million if I've made the proper investment. So it would take me even longer to actually catch up to where I am. You say money now is better than money later. Yes, sir. That's what you learned at mm -hmm. Yale. Yes, sir. And that's your answer. You're locking it in. Locking it in. Yeah. Locking it in. Jack St. Ivan, he says, one million. Thank you very much. Are you curious as to who asked that question? Um, yeah. Who, who, whose question would that be? Then I would encourage you and all of our listeners to go to the Wilkes-Barre's Granted Penguins archives, mm, the podcast archives, and see who our previous episode's guest was. You can find those on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. You can check that out if you like. Yeah. Well, it's not just questions from your teammates and other guests that we like to do on this podcast, Jack. We also have a recurring segment that we've been doing this year, a little something, a game, if you will, a mental exercise where I want to get to the bottom of terms or phrases that to me have too ambiguous of a meaning. And when I bring a guest on here, I say, you know what? I'm going to let them decide. You decide what this word means, and no one can ever argue with it ever again. And we do so in this segment that we call semantics. Okay, Jack, if I didn't explain that clearly enough before, once again, I'm going to give you a word and you just have to tell me what benchmarks need to be met, what boxes need to be checked to actually make this word qualify. Now, you're probably like, I still don't really understand what you're saying, but I think today's example on semantics, you're, the light bulb's going to go off, if you will. Jack, what is brunch? Um, it's a meal. That is eaten between 11 and... Oh, okay. So you're getting right into it. I love this. Two. 11 and 2. On a Sunday. So you understand... Oh, my goodness. Okay. So you already understand what I'm getting into here because you've already come back. Brunch must be consumed between 11 and 2. Because I think sometimes people say something like, oh, yeah, we're going to get brunch. We're going to get brunch. And it's like 3 in the afternoon. Or, yeah. or it's something where it's like, oh, we got to get up super early for brunch. No, I think you're just having breakfast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's got to be a meal that falls 
that can be considered in the parameters of yeah. breakfast and lunch. Yeah, eleven That's to where two. The word comes from not breakfast and lunch. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but you also said on a Sunday. So uh, yeah. so I All can't right, have sat- a Saturday, Saturday brunch. We'll go Saturday and Sunday. Has to be on a weekend. Weekend. So I can't have brunch on a Wednesday. At that point, I'm just having maybe eggs with bur- my maybe, lunch. Maybe it's a birthday or something. I, you can't just have a normal meal during the week and call it brunch. Why not? Because what if it is the ingredients of a breakfast, but I'm only I'm having it at 1 p.m. No. no, no, it is not. It must be reserved for weekends and special uh, yeah. occasions. I like that. Yeah. Why do you say that? Why are you completely nixing? And I'm not disagreeing with you, but why are you nixing the idea of brunch on a Tuesday? Mm, it just seems like you can't have like brunch is a special occasion type of thing. It can't just be an ev- every day. Are you a brunch man? No. No, you're not, not even re- a brunch not guy? Not really, no. Is no. it because you don't like uh, – are you not like a breakfast guy in general or are you just like I'd rather sleep in on my Sunday off or something? No, I, I like breakfast. I, I'm more I, – I would rather go to lunch than brunch. So I'd rather wake up, have breakfast, and then go to a lunch. I'd rather wake up, have breakfast, maybe do some chores, run some errands, and then meet my buddies out for lunch on yeah. Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more of a breakfast at home, make your own breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Go about my day and meet my friends out for lunch. Yeah. But if they said, I want some eggs, I want some waffles, I want some pancakes, you'll, you won't turn it down. Yeah, but I now might, now I we're give, in brunch territory. Yeah, I might say something, like say a little something, but what are you gonna say? Uh, I don't know. That I'd say if it's if it's two o'clock and you're ordering waffles, I'm gonna say that's a crazy play. That's a crazy play. Yeah, you gotta get some lunch, like a sandwich. But that's what people like to do, man. The I feel like the brunch economy has boomed in like the past ten years. I remember brunch was like a fun little unique thing, and now people want to do brunch every single weekend or multiple times a weekend. Yeah. I mean, I feel like brunch, you could also just be saying brunch because it's an opportunity to have some mimosas or some Bloody Marys, something, you know, have some drinks with some friends, which then it's, you know, you can all the power to if you want to have a breakfast drink at a lunch. But yeah, not not really for me. Not really for you. And that's also why I bring up brunch in this case of semantics, because I think people most people know this is the portmanteau of breakfast and lunch. But now, because everyone wants to do brunch, everything is brunch. No matter what time of day it is, not even doesn't even matter what they're eating. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to meet the gals out for brunch. Or, oh, yeah, we got a, a couple's brunch that we're going to. It's like, what are you talking about? It's it's Thursday, and it's yeah. three, 3 in the afternoon. What are you the, talking about? Draw the line at some point. Draw the there. line. You're not having brunch. You're, you're going out. You're hanging out. That's fine. Yeah. It's not brunch at a certain point. Yeah, seriously. I mean, where does it end? Like, where does it end? Like, if I'm going out at four now, yeah, you can't call that brunch. We're going to a movie and then brunch. That'd be no, you're that'd not. That'd be linner. That'd be lin. I don't even like linner as a term in general. Yeah. At that point, I. it's just like you had an early dinner. You had early supper. Dinner. Yeah, supper. Linner, linner. It does, doesn't roll off the tongue. No. It sends like a chill down my spine. There's something about no. it that Cause then I'm it's uncomfortable like, with. If you linner. if you consider brunch just any time you have breakfast food. At not breakfast time. Yeah, we can. It doesn't even have to be lunch. I know yeah. some people. Uh, Jack, I'm going to come at you with a really hot take here, but some people will be like, "Oh, well, we had breakfast for dinner, right?" To me, you just had dinner. Yeah. You didn't have breakfast for dinner. You had dinner. You had eggs, sausage, bacon, or what have you. But that was your dinner. 
The yeah. food, breakfast is the meal you have at the start of the day. If you wanted to cook up a meatloaf and mashed potatoes at the start of your day, you can. That is your breakfast. Just because it is not a breakfast food, if it's the first meal you have at 8 in the morning, you had mashed potatoes and meatloaf for breakfast. You didn't have dinner for breakfast. That was your breakfast. That's true. If you have eggs and home fries at the end of the day, you didn't have breakfast or dinner. You had dinner. Yeah. I get into fights with, with people that. about yeah. this. I mean, if you if you go down that line of thinking, then it's like if you throw an egg on a burger, would you say you had breakfast on your burger? No, exactly. No, you didn't. No, you shouted a fried egg on your burger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. It's the, the time of day dictates what the meal is, not the food. Yeah. But people don't understand that. I have gotten no. into fist fights with people over this. Not yeah, actually. But I, I can see that. Yeah. I've almost come to blows. In this office around <laughs> us here in Creation Station Studio, people are like, no, it's breakfast for dinner. Absolutely not. And that's why I feel like that is used too much, but I don't need – I'm willing – I don't want to say I'm willing to die on the hill, but I'm willing to accept blowback for that. But brunch has been used far too interchangeably for what it actually is. But to review – Jack, you say brunch has to be consumed between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. exclusively on the weekends or other special occasions, holidays, birthdays, or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But any given Monday, any given Thursday, you did not have brunch. That's not brunch. Yeah. That's not what that is. No. No. Weekday meals are more regimented. Weekend, you I, can you can let them flow. I co-sign this. Yeah. I co-sign this with. Uh, 100% confidence. And now we know. Folks, if you go out with your friends and it's 10 a.m. and you're putting that order in, you're having breakfast. You're not having brunch. That's facts. That's facts. And all of you listeners must abide by that now. Jack St. Ivany has spoken. He has spoken. It is final. It is determined. It is decided. Jack, thank you so much for... Not only hunkering down on what we needed to know there on brunch, thank you so much for sharing your story on this uh, this winding road that you've been on to join us here with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. But before I let you off the hook and let you go, let you take the microphone off, we have to do one last thing here on the Penguins podcast. That's how we wrap up every single episode. This is something we call Penn's Picks. Jack, it is at this time in every single episode where I ask my guest for a recommendation that they can give our listeners. And it can be anything under the sun. Food, movies, entertainment, they're always constant go-tos. It can be behavioral patterns. It can be good habits. Just something that you think deserves a shout-out. What is your Penn's pick? What do the people need to know about? My Penn's pick would be Drink more water. I'm going to be honest, Jack. This morning, I almost thought, you know what? Maybe my pen's pick should be just telling people to drink water. It's crazy how little people drink water. I think people sleep on water. I think that You can't sleep on water. It's a magnificent uh, thing, and it's it's been going on forever. And It's been going on forever. It's I a pastime. Don't think we should get away from it. It can heal you. It can make you feel better. Make your skin look better. It does everything. It drives me crazy how much... People will say, like, they feel bad, they feel tired, they feel worn down, and then they'll, like, go grab their fourth cup of coffee that day. It's like, no. 
you need to hydrate right now. That coffee is not helping you. Like, your pee is orange right now. <laughs> Just drink a bottle of water. I beg of you, you will feel better. And not even that stuff where you can, you know, oh, I'm going to put this extra, like, squirt of flavor in here, things like that. Or, oh, I got this funky water that's actually strawberry, mango, key lime flavor that I got from the store. Just drink water. It's good for you. It will help you. It's good. It really blows my mind how yeah. little people drink water. Yeah. I think, yeah. Try starting out your day. Just have a big glass of water. Because you and See I, I we're not big coffee drinkers. No. I'm a, I'm a functional coffee drinker. We talked about this on the podcast this year. When I like, I really need a kick up the rear, sure, I'll get like a half, half cup of coffee or something like that. But you're not a coffee guy. Water will work wonders. Yep. Trust me. So if you are out there right now and you can't even remember the last time you had a glass of water, now's probably a good time to go pour yourself a glass. Mm-hmm. Jack St. Sure. Ivan, he told you so. And for my Pens pick on this episode of the Penguins podcast, I'm going to do two. But my first one is also on the top of my mind. It's reheating things in the oven. Mm. Bypass the microwave. Microwave's great for maybe if you got like some steamed vegetables in the bag or popcorn or something like that. But when it comes to actually reheating a meal... I think the oven's the way to go, Jack. I'll stand by I, st- that. I started yeah. doing this like a year, year and a half ago. No, you know what it actually was? It was actually during like quarantine of 2020 or something like that. If I got takeout and I got like a bunch of chicken wings or something like that, you heat them up in the microwave. They get like soggy. It doesn't really work. Throw them in the oven. It's like they're either a fresh batch of wings or in some cases you can even like get a little bit of that extra grease like it comes off in the oven and now you're just getting pure meat pure seasoning, pure sauce. I'm a big fan of reheating just about anything in the oven versus the microwave. You have to be a little bit more patient. You can't just press like two minutes on the microwave, zap, it's done. You got to get a little bit of trial and error with your oven too, like what temperature it has to be set at, how long I have to leave certain things in there. One thing might require five minutes. Another thing might require 10 minutes. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the wait. Yeah. Personally, I'm pro Uh, reheat the oven. Are you an oven guy? Um... I probably grew up being a microwave guy. I think most people do just because it's easy. Yeah. Bing, bing, bang. Okay, zap, it's on. But my dad would always throw stuff in the oven and heat it up. And Dad's I would, a smart man. Yeah. I think that's kind of wearing off of me now. I'm more of an oven oven guy now. But I could see why people would just throw it in the microwave. I think most people think you, you just don't like reheat things in the oven. Like your, your brain's just computed to like, oh, yeah. I will cook it in the oven or I'll bake in the oven and I'll reheat something in the microwave. No, use that oven. You got a little more watchful eye. Don't want to burn it. That's the thing, too. You have to be cognizant of what's going on. You have to be watchful. Maybe if it's a day where you got a hundred other things going on, you do settle for the microwave. But otherwise, just set that timer on and get ready, and I think it makes a massive improvement on the reheated meal. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. You mentioned that you may have picked that up from your dad, too. I guess when we were talking about your whole uh, Manhattan Beach growing up in California experience and stuff like that, we never actually talked about your parents. Why don't you give them a little shout-out here? Mom and dad for, for sticking with you when you were the only kid who wanted to play hockey growing up. Yeah, I'll stick with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up, mom and dad? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Were were they hockey people at all, or were you truly coming out of left field with I want to play hockey? Um, My mom's brothers played hockey growing up. Okay. And then my dad grew up just playing hockey, being a fan of hockey. So it does run in the family. Yeah. You just didn't come out of left field, like watch a Ducks game on TV and said, like, yes, I will watch or I will play hockey now. Yeah, and then it was just kind of, they always were hockey fans, and when I was crying at the house, they'd just take me up to the rink, and I'd sit there and watch some hockey, and I'd shut up. So, uh, And I'd they, shut up. They figured that, <laughs> that'd be a good spot for me. 
And once again, it has uh, clearly worked out for you. And after that brief little uh, dive back into your backstory there, my second Pence pick that I feel like we cannot wrap this episode without mentioning is I'm going to give a big, fat Pence pick to the uh, medical staff that were there with us at our game last Friday when uh, Philip Hallander suffered that injury there. I know it was a scary scene. I know it was, you know, a, a gut-wrenching moment, not just this season, but quite frankly in this team's history. But how quickly were those guys on the spot? Seamus McKelvey, Penguins head athletic trainer, darted right out there. The Charlotte Checkers equipment ma- or not equipment manager, athletic trainer, Alex Ambrose, bang, was right out there. Good to go. Xander Kosmala, Penguins uh, assistant athletic trainer, uh, Dr. Hans Ols- Olsen, uh, Elise Jensen, another doctor from Geisinger who was there. Huge shout-out to those guys, the EMTs from uh, Transmed that, like, got everything taken care of as safely and as efficiently as possible. It was a scary scene, but everything kind of works out for the best. You make the best out of a terrible situation because those guys were right where they needed to be making making magic happen. So huge pens pick to those guys. Yeah, yeah, they were right on the spot there. Got everything taken care of, and I feel like not only is it good to see, um, you know, them taking care of Philip in the situation and, um, you know, settling everyone down, but it's, you know, as a player, um, knowing that you have that that safety there, and it just makes you feel comfortable on the ice. And if you, you didn't have that, I feel like a lot more guys would be uncomfortable playing, but you, you never have that thought in the back of your head because you know you have those people there. Um, who care about you and are willing to do everything they can to make you feel better. I didn't even think of that from the other player's perspective. But, yeah, you know you got that safety net uh, back there for you. God forbid anything happens, but just in case that is the risk uh, you run in a big physical heavy game or things like that, you know you're taking care of. J.D. Forrest called them all the best in the business, and he did so for a reason. So Penn's pick to all of those guys. Thank you for uh, your hard work and attentiveness in that situation. And thanks to Jack St. Ivany for joining us here on the Penguins podcast. We ran out of time, couldn't get a chance to talk to Bindi Irwin, but Jack, I'm thrilled that we were able to sit here and talk to you. Thanks so much, buddy. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. All right, folks, that is it for our first episode of the new year and the Wilkes-Barre's Granted Penguins podcast. But we're going to be back with another episode for you good folks in two weeks' time. In the meantime, Jack, I'll get a question from you for our next episode's guest. But before we sign off, why don't you bid the good people adieu? Oh, thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> come out to our next game. I caught you off guard there with that yeah. one. But, yeah, we'll see you at Mohegan Sun Arena at Casey Plaza soon enough. It's been an exciting season, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sure we got much, much more electrifying hockey coming up for you this year and many more electrifying episodes of the Penguins podcast. So I, too, will now bid you adieu and thank you for listening. The Wilkes-Barre Stranded Penguins podcast is recorded live in front of no studio audience.